I remember this date 23 years ago, like it was yesterday. I woke up early around 3 a.m. Central Time and was glued to a tiny square TV in my parents' bedroom, still in my pajamas. The glow of the blue light filled the entire bedroom, and sleepily I watched as the events unfolded. Chances are, you remember this day too. On September 6, 1997, an estimated 2.5 billion people tuned in around the world as Diana, Princess of Wales, was laid to rest after a tragic car accident in Paris just days earlier. In an interview with Martin Bashir of BBC One Panorama two years before the accident, Princess Diana was asked if she thought she'd ever be queen. And here's what she said. Quote, no. I'd like to be a queen of people's hearts, in people's hearts, but I don't see myself being queen of England. I don't think the establishment that I married into will want me to be queen because I do things differently, because I don't go by a rule book, because I lead from the heart, not the head. So although she was beloved by so many across the world, valuing humanity over prestige, as journalist Brianna Hare notes, she herself felt as if she wouldn't have fit in as queen. She felt she wouldn't have been the type of queen that the British monarchy desired or expected. And in reflecting on our text for this morning, this is a question I've been pondering, church. Who or what is the authority that I desire and expect to lead my life? Is it me? Is it a business? Is it the government? Or is it Jesus? One can respect Jesus. One can honor Jesus. One can even proclaim him. But in light of his mission that he carried out for humanity, do we really want Jesus to be our king? My hunch is, as I examine my own life in the witness of the Western church, that sometimes it's easier to respect Jesus and to honor him as a man who did mighty works. It's easy to outwardly proclaim him as Lord, but it's not as easy to actually ensure that my life is in alignment with what he said and what he did. I think of our oldest daughter, who's currently petitioning for a Bernadoodle puppy. This is for Christmas, right? So thanks to many of you who've weighed in with your wisdom and discernment on social media away from a hamster. Hamsters are a hard no in our house because of you. She wants the fluff, but not the feedings. She wants the playtime, but not necessarily the potty breaks. She wants the wet kisses, but not the early morning walks. 
And I think, church, you and I are at a crucial time in history where we have to decide if we really want Jesus as king who has authority over our lives, not just as a teacher who informs our lives. Because sometimes we want the miracles, but not the meekness. We want the signs, but not the sacrifice. We want heaven, but not the humility. We want the favor, but not to forgive our enemies. So what kind of king does Jesus show us to be? Let's start reading at verse 12. John says this, the next day after he was anointed at Bethany, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. So if you look at this picture by artist Emmanuel Nasama, this mural was captured in the chapel at a girl's secondary school in uh, Zambia, and I think it's beautiful. You can see that there are these palm branches that the crowd is waving. But these branches aren't meaningless leaves. As a matter of fact, they're a symbol. They're a symbol of victory in both the Roman and Jewish worlds. As they were synonymous with victory, these palms came to be a nationalistic Jewish symbol. And as the Jews waved them in the air, that was their way of expressing Israel's national hopes. Palm branches were also included in art and on coins, as you can see here, that were minted during both of the major wars with Rome. So as they're waving these palm branches, the crowd was yelling, Hosanna! or save us now, which has its roots in Psalm 118, a psalm sung regularly during Passover, which includes these verses. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Note what part is not in Psalm 118 that we see the crowd proclaims in John 12. Blessed is the king of Israel. The crowd essentially takes scripture and modifies it based on the kind of king that they desire. Which was what? You pair the nationalistic significance of the palm branches with the Hosanna, or save us now from the crowd, and you have a desire for a mighty, victorious king of war who would come riding in on a horse, ready for battle as Israel's national liberator. It's at this point when Jesus mounts not a horse, but a donkey. He didn't have to walk. He was used to walking. But he wanted to show the people the kind of king he actually was. If we want Jesus to be our king, 
We will not look for one who boasts military significance or national liberation. We will look for him as Zechariah prophesied in Zechariah 9. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. So first church, Jesus is a king of peace. Do you really want Jesus to be your king? At this point, the Pharisees are all in a tizzy because folks are choosing to follow Jesus, therefore threatening their authority and thwarting their master plan. And then Jesus introduces wheat into the conversation. Why in the world would he do that? Here's what he says, chapter 12, verse 23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, this means pay attention. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Those who love their life will lose it, while those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. When Jesus proclaims the hour has come, he is explicitly telling us why he came. Jesus came to die. But no, Jesus, you're supposed to save us. Why are you on a donkey and not on a horse? In no uncertain terms, church, he gives us insight into what this means for his disciples, for us. Unless there's a death involved, unless there's a letting go and a sacrifice of love involved, there is no eternal life. Quick story. Our son, he loves frogs, and he's been catching them all summer. It's one of his favorite things to do in the yard. But there's one slight problem. He holds on to them way too tightly when he catches them. And as a result, a couple have had to fight for their froggy lives because of his tight grip. And actually, the thing that he loves ends up suffering because of his hold on them. Hold that visual. I love Eugene Peterson's translation from the message of John 12, 25. Anyone who holds on to the life just as it is destroys that life. But if you let it go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever, real and eternal. Can I be honest with you? I don't like the sound of this, friends. I like holding on to my stuff. Just ask my husband how many books I have scattered all around our house. I like my time. I like my space. I like my hobbies. But as much as I like my stuff, I must be willing to let go as a disciple of Jesus. Jesus gave up everything 
for the object of his mission, which was the entire world, you and me included. If we are to follow him, then our lifestyles, our opinions, our pride must bow secondary to his kingship. It's like a kernel of wheat. Jesus's hearers would have understood this. And he was really speaking to Hellenism or a chief pursuit of success driven by riches and appearance that existed in his day. Wheat seeds are seeds that die in the earth. Unless that kernel dies to being a kernel and gives up its kernelness, if you will, it will never produce more and live into the fullness of its created intention. Jesus wants more for you and for me, for his church, but we must be willing to die, to let go of the lesser loves of this life. So perhaps we seek the movement of the spirit this morning and ask what have you and I been invited to release for the sake of love in a world that tends to be cautious, suspicious, and predictably divisive. Church, Jesus is a king who died. Do you really want Jesus to be your king? Can I pause here and say that I find such comfort in verse 27 that Jesus spoke that his soul was troubled in this account. If you're sitting here this morning and you're watching and you're depressed or you're anxious or you're scared, if your soul is troubled, know that our Lord knew that trouble too and he told us you're not alone. I found much comfort in knowing that Jesus is a God who doesn't alienate me because of my harder emotions. And yet, despite his fear, he remembers why he came and his mission transcended his momentary trouble. What an example for us as we navigate so much unknown. Jesus experienced human emotion, but he wasn't paralyzed by it. He continued on the mission that the Father set before him. I find it both ironic and humbling that God the Father speaks from heaven, and some of the crowd, the liberal Sadducees, think it's thunder. The conservative Pharisees think it's an angel, and they're both wrong. Neither clearly identifies the voice of God, but what is clear is the promise that he will draw all people to himself, Gentiles included. All human beings have been reconciled to God because Jesus is on his way to take the sin of the entire world on the cross. Church, if we're honest with each other this morning, is there anyone that you secretly or explicitly hope is excluded from the mission because of their sin, their lifestyle, their belief? 
Because for as many qualifiers as we may want to superimpose on this one, Jesus is a king for all people. Do you really want Jesus to be your king? We'll get into the rest of the passage next Sunday with a theme we've seen before in John's gospel. But as we ponder the invitation, when we allow the spirit to search and sort our own lives, when we truly and truthfully hold up our convictions and actions under the kingship of Jesus, we must remind ourselves this morning, in the midst of this very specific time in history and place in which we live, that Jesus is a king of peace who died for all people. Do our lives and our relationships reflect our king? If I can be honest with this uh, for a few moments this morning, the past few weeks and months have been tumultuous for many of us, but for my family included. On one level, we're trying to keep the home front intact with three kids, two of whom are in school right now. My parents just evacuated and returned to Houston safely from Hurricane Laura, and my dad is still recovering from surgery. Add in racial tensions, regardless of how one might exegete a given shooting or protest, and to be exposed to the trauma of violence over and over again is exhausting for our brothers and sisters of color, myself included. Our family knows four people who've passed from COVID-related complications, and we have two family members who are still fighting to beat this. So my own heart cries, Hosanna, this morning. Do I want Jesus to be my king? Is he enough in the face of all of this? I know the soul's cry for many of us in this season is just that, Hosanna, God, save us now. Many of you are processing job loss that I know personally. You're processing illness, relational tension within your family because of differing convictions. You're trying to figure out how to care for new babies or fragile babies, vulnerable kids and foster kids. Church, all of this seems impossible if the people or platforms or outlets we look to to save us are sources that will draw us deeper into division and self-preservation and selective flourishing for us versus them. But the good news this morning, if there's any to proclaim, is that our King, King Jesus, is a King of peace who died for all people, you and me alike. This means if Jesus is our King, despite what we're going through, we have hope and an assurance of eternal life because as we know, Jesus didn't die and stay in the grave, but he rose again. I can't promise you won't feel, feel fearful, but I can tell you that fear does not win. 
As Dale Bruner states, the devil's defeat does not mean his absence, however. So we must stay committed in prayer and believe in the power of prayer in the battle that wages. I can't promise you won't experience the threat of suffering. The chief priest, remember, plotted to kill Lazarus because his life's testimony was pointing people to Jesus. We don't like to talk about that part. But if our lives are reflections of Jesus, that might actually put us in the middle of opposition, not on the outskirts of it. But the Father will honor the one who serves the Son. So I'll ask one final time. Do you want Jesus to be your king? Not Caesar, not a church leader or a governing official. Jesus, the King of Peace, who died for all people. If so, may we say yes to the conviction and the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. May we be instruments of peace. May we give generously and sacrificially of ourselves, pointing people to a sacrificial love in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. May we put our lives on the line. May we see each person as a brother or a sister, an individual for whom Christ died. May we proclaim, yes, Jesus is King, through whose death, burial, and resurrection the Father is glorified.